You are listening to Myth Behaving, a podcast with a little bit of attitude on the literary world. Won't you come Myth Behave with us? Hello, and welcome to Myth Behaving. This is episode number 19 of the Myth Behaving podcast, and we're recording on October 6th, 2013. I'm Carla Clifton, and I am joined by my co-host, Mayor Wilson. Hello, Mayor. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And you know, that's weird that we're having to start to say the dates because we started what in December of 2012. So we're coming up on our one year anniversary. But yeah, now we have to start putting in the year, not just the day and month, but the year. I think that's kind of cool. I think it's really cool. But you know, if they listen to us in order because they don't want to miss one thing, They'll figure it out. <laughs> well, well, probably. But I, I, it, it, it was cute that you added the year in, and I noticed that right away because that's the first time you've done that. Well, that's because you added it last time, and I'm going. Did oh, I really? Yes, you made a big deal of adding it last time. So I said, "Oh, I guess she wants the year on there." So, <laughs> well, it tells you what I remember, right? <laughs> oh well, see, I remember what you want. At least I try. Uh, it's it's been a long it's been a long week it's been tell a long me week. about it it's my first week back on from vacation and you talk about a long work week i'm just like going oh lord oh yeah you had to go back and be a real person again huh i did i did and after being gone for two whole weeks you know how much stuff was on top of my desk my in basket was nowhere to be found it was tempting buried. to burn it all right Oh, amen to that, sister. <laughs> well, each myth-behaving show features a very special guest from the literary world. It could be a writer, a publisher, agent, editor, anybody at all from publishing world at all. Plus, we have several special segments related to reading or writing. in the library of a myth behavior. And that means it's time for something from the library of a myth behavior. Now, today I am recommending The Last Keeper's Daughter by Rebecca Trogner. This is a very cool vampire novel. It's got mystery, paranormal, romance, all sorts of little things in it. And it's really different because, you know, we've gotten so used to the kick-ass heroines. And this heroine is very different. She's flawed. She's very flawed. In fact, she's in the beginning of the book, she's almost broken. And watching her evolve throughout the novel was so intriguing. This this is a very, very different take on the vampire novel. So if you love vampire novels, this one is extra special. Well, the, you know what that means, guys, don't you? You've been listening long enough to know that our very special guest today is Rebecca Trogner. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And we're thrilled to have you because you are one of my sister writers from Crescent Moon Press, so it's a double pleasure to have you on the podcast. Let's jump right on in, Rebecca, and tell us what drew you to write about vampires. Oh, Lord. You know, I mean, I think 
when I was really pretty young, I read Anne Rice's Interview with a Vampire, and I was just so taken with it. And mainly I was taken with because of the history. And I think of vampires as being like these portals of history that you could go and kind of talk to and think about what they experienced. So that kind of got me going with it. And, you know, it kind of ebbed and flowed. And then, uh, let's see, Charlene Harris, her very first, I think it was called The Southern Vampire Mysteries. I'm not sure. I read that. And they put vampires in present time with people knowing about them in a very casual way. And that just got me really crazed and uh started looking around trying to find other books and I, I just thought you know I need to do something for myself and plus they're that, sexy you know they they are aren't they yeah they I are I don't know why because they're like undead and everything like that but they cer- they certainly have become very sexy lately yeah I don't dwell on that you know I'm like everybody's got a flaw you know that's theirs it's like we'll deal with it other than that they're fine <laughs> And and that's interesting because, you know, I loved the Anne Rice take, too. You know, it was she's the first one that started edging us a little closer to um, making them romantic figures. Yeah, they were romantic in that tragic, angsty kind of way. Um, but, you know, they weren't those they weren't sexual creatures, really, in her book. At least I don't think so. They didn't have sex, did they? Uh, I don't. I don't think I they don't did. I don't think so. I don't think so. It's, it's certainly not mentioned. If memory, it's been a long time since I've read them, but uh, I don't right. recall it. They did yeah. in the movie. They did in the movie. Oh, they did. Yeah. <laughs> then they bit them. Dang! I got to go back and revisit that. <laughs> but I think you know, it's it's. I, I think vampires have just—they're almost immortal. It seems when you go back and read history. There's always been a creature kind of like them. It's just in, in our current times, we, we take them, we've, we've take them to the nth degree, I think, and have made these almost like superstars in a weird way. I agree that's, with you. That's true. Of truth and mythery. Of Truth and Mythery is a segment where we take a commonly held publishing or writing belief and examine whether it's true or just another myth. Rebecca, feel free to answer this. There are a lot of different processes a writer can use to turn out an excellent novel. Is that the statement? Is that true or is it a myth? But there's a lot of different processes that uh, that the writers use to turn out an excellent product. Is that what you're asking? Correct. Oh, of course. I think there's a you know myriad of different processes. I don't think there's just one for any writer. I think they all do something different. Um, I think the geniuses or the ones that have the innate talent that that nurture that talent and are disciplined. You know, who knows what they use. Some use their real life. Some just watch people in the airport. I don't know. Maybe other stalk. I don't know. But um, yeah, there's just an endless amount of different ways you can do it. That's my opinion. I agree. I, I heartily concur with that statement. Yeah, there's no right. I don't think there's any right or wrong. I don't think that... I, I think some people get very high and mighty that it's an art form. And for some people it is. But... Um, 
I don't think there's any, you know, I think it's whatever works for you. It's a very internal thing. I think writers are very introspective and they think a lot and they have to have an incredible amount of, um, you know, creativity inside them. They have to project these worlds in their minds. So who's to say what's right or wrong? And, but they're, you know, they're, you, you'll, you'll stumble across, the beginning writers, especially when they're out there Googling, uh, will stumble across websites that tell them, well, this is the way you do it. And they try to put, uh, they try to define it. They try to nail it down. And I think while some of those sites can be helpful, I think that some of them can be misleading too because then somebody thinks it has to be done this way and I have to write it in three acts and I have to do this and I have to do that. And I think that can be misleading. It doesn't mean that it's wrong, but it's not the only, it's not the only right way to do it. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think there are certain, uh, skeletal issues or structure that, are helpful, but you will have, you know, a writer just pop up out of nowhere and have something so unique and so different and it captivates everyone and everybody and people will read it and go, I didn't even know this was possible. So you don't, you know, you don't want to stifle that in a person. Exactly. Rebecca, how long have you been writing and why did you decide to write? Oh, you know, I've been writing forever, but you know, I was never, I was never a very disciplined writer. It'd be like, I just get like this thought and I'd write like a few pages and then it would just drift away. <laughs> and I was always, but I was, you know, it was like, I was this kind of laissez faire, but I was always very, um, I always had like a, a story in my head. Like there was always something, no matter where I was, I would see somebody and I would look at them and I would like, you know, just kind of like make up a crazy backstory for this person that was picking their nose or something as to why they were doing that rude thing in public. But, you know, that was just me. So there was always an internal story. And then I guess I turned 40 and I realized, I know this is a shock, but I realized that I was mortal and that I only had a certain amount of time, you know, on this planet. And I just thought, I got to get things done. I got to start. If I don't start, I'll never get it. And then, you know, I'll be not happy. So I just started writing and I just put my mind to it. And it, it's, you know, I just kept at it. And even when I got stuck, I just kept at it. And eventually, you know, 10 pages turned to 100, turned to 300. And there you go. That's awesome. Yeah. I, you know, I. I you don't really think of that because I'm a very deliberate person, like in my real world life. So I just, I had never used those skills that I had learned for writing. And once I did that, it, it all kind of clicked together. You know, it was like, you just have to keep going. It, it takes, it's not easy. If I guess if it were easy, everybody would do it. And, but, you know, you have to, you have to work at it. It's time for MythPrint, Tips and Tricks of the Industry. Well, it's time for another one of our special segments. Mythprint includes a basic tip concerning writing, marketing, or anything else to do with the industry. Rebecca, do you have any tips um, on writing in general that you can share with us? Oh, have a really, really good editor. <laughs> I am horrible with... <laughs> I'm terrible with my punctuation. I think of it like a suggestion instead of set rules, and that is that's tough for me. So I would think even if you're even if you're an English teacher or, or whatever you may be, I would think 
once you get it done, once you get your story out and done and you feel good about it, I, I really suggest a, a really good editor or at the very least somebody that can look at it for just the, you know, the P's and Q's. And, and you know, having fresh eyes on it is always good because what makes perfect sense to you could be like mud to another person. They might be like, what? Huh? And then you go back and you realize, oh, well, my eyes, you know, I was reading it because I knew it. So I think that's my best thing. I, I see... Um, a lot of, I read a lot, and I try to read every, as much as I can of all genres and, and, you know, New York bestsellers, indies, and all that. And I see sometimes that it, just a fresh pair of eyes would be really good for some stories, and, and they would really, really shine, you know, if they just had a little bit something. I, I, I like that answer. Because I, I have a lot of beta readers that do reading, and, and, um, when I was writing my sequel, I I had one of my beta readers highlight one of the sentences and say, I have no idea what this means. And I looked at it, and I'm like, well, hell, I don't have any idea what it means either. <laughs> <You> <laughs> no clue exactly. what I meant there. <laughs> you meant something. <laughs> I, did, I did at one point in time. So... Uh, that that editing that that second pair of eyes, as you say, is, I agree with you. That is so important. Right. Yeah. Well, Rebecca, writing is a process of so many different things. What is it that you love most about what you do? I love the characters. I like to really sink down into them and walk around. And see what they're gonna do, and feel their, you know, their motivation. I like, um, you know, I'm a nice, decent person, you know, but I do like to dip down into a person that isn't, you know, somebody that may be amoral or has no conscience or whatever, and just see, kind of feel around and see what they would do, you know. I, I find that fascinating, just trying to figure it out. So I think that's my favorite, my favorite process. It's just. They're like little entities, and sometimes they're hard to kind of turn off. And they kind of, I've been in like the, the supermarket line sometimes, and they're chattering. This sounds weird, but kind of talking in my head. And it's, it's like what, you got to get home and you got to write them out. So that's my favorite part. I, I, I love that answer because I'm very character driven myself, and I think that comes from my stage background. But I, I can sim- sympathize with you because it's the bad boys and girls that are fun, you know? Oh. Gosh, they are. They are the most fun. It's so liberating because you you know you aren't doing it. You would never do these things in real life, and, and you would cringe. But but to be able just to in your fantasy world do them, I, I think it, I think it's um what's the word for it? It's probably a good stress reliever or something. I, I, Catharsis. Yes. Be cathartic. Which could explain why Hollywood is so, you know, Hollywood movies, so many of them have that and why so many people like to go see it. And it relieves something in our society. I don't know what that, I'm not deep enough to figure that part out, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rebecca, is there anything about the process that you don't like? Oh, God, yes. I hate marketing. I swear I do. I am clueless as to it. I can't figure it out. I'm like, oh, just shoot me. That part I do not like. But, you know, that's, that's probably one of the things that I wouldn't like is because there are so many 
little idiosyncrasies that you have to know and know when to do it and how to do it and and what if you do this it will affect this and oh my gosh especially in today's day and time with social media mhm yeah i i yeah, it's it's very daunting i you know i'm not um I I am one of those people that just want I just want to write and have you know right away and I like to hear from readers and I, I like to hear from people I love chatting with you but you know trying to figure out the right venue to to get your book out there and is this is my money well spent if I do this as opposed to that and there are really a lot of wonderful people out there working to promote other writers. But then there are also a lot of, uh, for a better word, like snake oil salesmen. So you have to be very careful. It's it's a little scary, I think. Well, you know, one of the things that I thought was so strange about the whole writing and publishing process that was very eye-opening for me, a non-writer, um, and that was to learn that your publisher doesn't do anything for you. I mean... I know it has to do with your, um, who you're with and how big of a name you are, but I automatically thought in my little brain, <laughs> as such as it is, that that's why you hire them. They go, they publish your book, you know, and they uh, advertise it and, and broadcast it everywhere. And wow, was, <laughs> I wrong. I could not have been farther from the truth. Right. I, I don't. I'm not an expert on this, but um, very few get the the big publishing house, you know, contracts. So and then they they do push and promote the books, but it's very few. I mean, it. I. It's probably less than twenty a year, something like that. Yeah. Um, and that that's caused the constriction of the the market. So many publishing houses have merged now. So many bookstores have closed. It's a it's a domino effect. So now there's very limited money, and they don't really unless you're with one of the big ones. They really don't put the money into all the marketing and promotion. It seems to be the way the uh, the book world, I guess, is going. I'm not sure if that's good or bad. But yeah, I agree. Before you know, I started, I had no idea either, and I don't think most people do. They just. But when you when you when you talk to them and you think about it, really, you see very few ads for books, and it's only a few books every month, two or three, that you can pinpoint and say, "Oh, yeah, that's the big one for the month," and that's it. You know, and that's kind of where I think maybe publishers are missing the boat with their writers is the fact that they know how to market you know that is their forte and how much would I mean they could totally automate the process um, of the social media blitz or whatever and do it and because they have all these contacts if you will it would be so much more effective than someone having to do it on their own. I really wish the publishing houses would reconsider how they handle writers because I just believe that they would be doing them such a much better job. Not saying that they're doing a bad job, 
but doing a different job by marketing this for their writers that they're working, that they're getting paid money to help, you know, and I just, I think they're missing the boat. And I think that they're doing the, the writers a disservice. And again, I'm not criticizing any publishing house because I don't even know who does what. Okay. I'm just saying the just basic knowledge that I have is I was kind of shocked. Well, yeah, I mean, I do. I think it is shocking. And the, a lot of, you know, it's a complicated world, you know, I think. And it, it keeps getting more and more complicated. It shouldn't be, but I think it does. But yeah, they, um, it would be nice if there would be something, especially for publishers that have a lot of writers, right. you know, like like exactly what you said. They could pool their resources and be marketing and advertising, promoting for all their writers. Right. It wouldn't cost that much. Yeah, exactly. Well, the thing is, is even if they've got their big budgets, they should be. They should be tweeting. They should be putting things on Facebook and not just like one time. They should be, you know. Set up a really cycle. highlighting and spotlighting those authors each month. Um, right. I'm having a chance to see the other side of this. I have a friend who got uh, a, a very large advance and has a book coming out. And uh, the, the difference in what this author is getting as far as support from the publishing house, my mouth just drops open every time I, I get a little, a little, another little piece of the puzzle with this particular author's life, be, you know, publishing life, because it is so different from anybody else I know, um, because they really are putting the money into this person. And it's, it's, it's exciting to watch, but at the same time, it's like, you know, it's not all about the money. You could be doing the social media. All of the other houses could be doing social media at least. And I mean, doing that regularly. So, but yeah, having a chance to see, uh, what, what it's like for somebody who is obviously being set up for superstardom right. is really, it's, it's an eye opener. And my, I'm just, I'm in awe of, of the support that this person is getting. And I'm thrilled for them because oh, they're yeah. a friend of mine. But um, it, it, it's just like, couldn't the rest of us have a little bit more? <laughs> well, and not only that, I mean, how hard is it to, to, to set up a regular cycle of tweeting or, you know, Facebooking? Because you have all these programs now that can automate it and do it for you, like, yep. you know, TweetDeck or Hootsuite or, you know, some of those. Because, and they can go cross-platform. I know that Hootsuite does... Um, Facebook and Twitter and, um, you know, you could, it could could be so automated that it doesn't require a, you know, some big marketing staff, you know, it just, you need to be organized, you know, um, but they have the contacts to be able to do that. And the little lowly little writer, when they're just starting out, they don't have the contacts. I mean, I look at my Twitter and I have, what, 400 followers or some nonsense? I mean, that's nothing. That's a drop in the bucket. I would hope I would sell more than 400 books, you know. <laughs> um, so, I, I I don't know. I just got off on a tangent. Sorry about that. But <laughs> Well, no, because it is a big thing. It, it is. And... and and, I, and I can't agree more with Rebecca because it marketing is... It is... The devil, <laughs> it is the, you know, and and I'm spending what one to three hours a morning on social media, 
alone. But, but that's because you're having to do so many other things in order to get your book out there because you, you know, maybe you're not getting it, your support somewhere else in marketing. So, I mean, but that would not be how much time maybe a publisher would be required to market you, you know, because oh, you no. are doing it. It would things. take them like five seconds, you know. Right, right. Well, anyway, moving on, authors work in so many different ways. Rebecca, are you a planner outlining everything, making extensive notes, or are you a pantser flying by the seat of your pants and letting your book go wherever it will go? Oh my, I am such a pantser. It is so funny. Yes, I, you know, I tried, I really tried to do the planning, outlining thing, and it gave me like the massive headache. I was like, I can't deal with this. It just totally, if I try to do that, I, the planning, outlining, it, 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 it the, the well dries up. <laughs> I have no imagination. So I am definitely a pantser, but that ties back into, um, your previous kind of question, uh, I'm very character driven, so that would make sense. I can't really outline my characters until I get in there and figure out what, who they are, what they're going to do. I even, you know, for each character, I usually write a whole bio that never gets in the book about them and what they hate, what they like, you know, past loves or, you know, I don't know, graves they've dug, whatever. And that, that helps me, so. I am definitely a pantser. I think a lot of people are because I seem to meet a lot of writers who are pantsers and very few outliners. Or I meet dreamers. I don't know. That's a thing too lately. I've met a couple of people so they dreamed the whole book. I really wish that would happen to me, but it hasn't yet. <laughs> I'm waiting. I don't even remember my dreams, so I'm glad <laughs> I don't dream any books because I'd forget them anyway. I don't know. I've had that a couple of people say that. And, you know, I, I have uh, to. But you don't know, no. I always, I always dream hard, you know, things like, you know, my boss five times removed or something. And it's like, I don't want to write about that. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I forgot am... bread in the store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, it's never anything great like vampires and stuff. But, uh, yeah, so I'm a pantser. I think that goes with, uh, I think that kind of goes with personality traits, seems to be. But, you know, it's weird because in my real world life, I am not a pantser. I am one of those very orderly, organized, boring people. So maybe I'm just getting it all out in my books. That's possible. Speaking of, would you please tell us about your next project? I have a few. I have a couple things going on once. I finished up the uh, sequel to The Last Keeper's Daughter, and that is with the editor. We've gone through one round, and my editor is a saint. So uh, it's back with her. She's going to look at it. Then... uh, I started writing this. I got really intrigued by art theft and art detectives and the whole world of art trading by apparently art has become the new currency for what would you call it? Like mafia, international crime syndicates. So I've started a book on that. It's like a mystery with a, an, a, an art restorer and a famous work of art and then I have another one about it's a, it's a very quaint one about a World War two a World War one excuse me uh, vet who's actually of British descent but after World War one he comes to the states and following kind of his little his tale and I just I find that that's kind of like uh, something for my parents because they always have 
stories about their brothers in World War Two, and then stories about their uncles and grandfathers who were in World War One. So I'm kind of doing that for them. I don't know how long that one's going to take, though, because that one's really, it's a very arty little book, not like me at all. No vampires at all. Well, we have seen a lot of changes in the industry in just the past couple of years. How do you feel about the changes and how how it may have impacted your own work? Oh, wow, that's a really good question. That's a um impacting my own work probably not very much because I am of the generation that has come uh been published after publishing houses or, or constricting. So it probably hasn't impacted me very much. How do I feel about the changes? I think they suck, to be honest. I don't, um, I can remember when I was, you know, a young teenager, bookstores were like these grand places and every town had like, you know, one, two, three nice bookstores. And because of the industry changes, you don't have that anymore. You know, Barnes and Nobles is shutting down. We have a Books a Million in town, but it's sad. You know, it's not like the the, the ones that were before. So, I, you know, I don't like that. I'd like to see a resurgence of having bookstores, which would, you know, in turn push the market more um, to having the publishers do a little bit more. Because right now, everything's a little bit kind of hazy, kind of lazy. Because there's so much digital out there, and they can put everything on the digital, and they don't have to have stock in stores. They don't have to have people actually touching the books or any of that. I, I just I don't like that. You know, it's I know that sounds harsh, but that's kind of the way I feel. I I, I miss it a lot, and I think other people people do too. But it, I, I, that's just my that's my thoughts. That's, that's, you know, of all the people we've talked to, I think we've gotten a lot who really like the, the print books, but also like the, the fact that we have the access to the digital and that it's opened up the floodgates for new authors to get published who may never have been published before. So what do you think about that aspect of it? Well, that is, you know, that's always, there's always a razor edge on all of this. Yes, there are. The digital has opened up a lot. I mean, I have an e-reader that I use, um, and it's so immediate, and that is so wonderful. So I don't really fault that. I, I would like to, there would be a way to integrate it so we don't have to lose so much. You know, I'm not sure what libraries are going to look like, to be honest, in like 10 years if this trend kind of keeps up. Um, I, I, I wish there was, a, yeah, I mean, I, I would like there be to, for, for there to be a way that, that, that we could prom- somehow for them to make more money. I mean, I really think that's mainly what it is. So there's a wall street plays a part in it too, but for these big publishers to make the money that they used to do with the books, then that, you know, it, it propels everything, but it kind of reminds me of, um, the, the old movie houses, if you've ever seen one, they were just these elaborate, ornate castles. I mean, they were beautiful. It was just amazing. You'd walk into these places and the artwork and the architecture. And now everything is just so kind of industrialized. You walk into this place and you sit down. And, so I just don't want to see that happen to the book world, I guess. But I am thankful. I'm thankful that they have this. It's just that maybe it's a... Maybe it's a hiccup. Maybe it's a learning curve. Kind of hope so. 
the myth number is. And now it's time for myth number, our word or phrase for the day. And today my word is flawed. And Rebecca, do you have any special tips to give for writing a character like Lily, who is so flawed and withdrawn in the beginning, yet you kept her so sympathetic and so likable? How did you do that? Well, I'm not sure actually I was as successful as I wanted to be on that. But um, I am a huge observer of people. It's kind of part of some of the work I do in real life. So I like to see what makes them tick or not tick, what what might have happened that causes them to close off a certain aspect. Um, what? So you just kind of watch them. So with Lily, she's... She's not. She she is flawed, I guess, in our normal sense. But she's more stifled and not sure what's going on. And for Lily, I wanted her to be slightly heroic, but not in that blustering, you know, kick-ass woman kind of way. I wanted her to be more like what I see real people do in their everyday lives, you know, who deal with adversity, and they they just suck it up and they keep going on and they do the best they can do. So with Lily, that's kind of what I was trying to show. I was trying to show a young woman who knew she was, who knew something wasn't quite right with herself, and truly hated that it disturbed and hurt other people around her, but tried to do the best she could. And you know, I kind of hope that that came across with her that. You know, because you aren't slaying dragons or something like that, it doesn't mean, you know, you don't have courage. And, you know, so with her, that's what I was was trying to show. And and sometimes, you know, flawed characters aren't likable. A lot of people I know aren't really likable. But they are honorable, and they're people that would give you the shirt off their back. You just don't kind of, you know, agree with them. But she was likable. I thought Lily was likable. I liked her. Yeah, I mean, I obviously I liked I like Lily too. I'm still kind of writing Lily, and um, she just you know she, as, as my grandmother would say, she had a hard way to hoe. Well, now we get into an exciting, different part of our program, and that is if you could have a dinner party with any seven people, living, dead, or fictional. Who would you include? Mm, this was fun. I kind of mulled this over. Um, I'd like to have Amelia Earhart because I just want to know what the hell happened. That drives me crazy. Um, and I'd like to have Mary Todd Lincoln because I think she got a bum rap, you know, with all the crazy business. I mean, she probably was, but still, I would like to get her perspective on what the war was like, what her husband was like, what it was like at the White House, that sort of thing. Um, another strong woman, Cleopatra. I mean, good Lord, how did she seduce Caesar and Anthony? It's like, that's it's pretty amazing stuff. Uh, Sherlock Holmes, because I think he would, I just can't imagine him with those women. I would just like to sit back and watch that. Um, let's see, Isaac Dennison. I always loved her book, Out of Africa. I can't, it's, it's haunting to me. I can't get that out of my mind. Um, this was kind of controversial, but I think he would be good at the dinner party. I don't agree with anything he did, but Stalin, he's just always been a, a fascinating character for me. And I kind of like to, I'd like to see him interact. I'd like to watch him walk and eat and drink and see what he does. And let's see, how many is that? Is six. that six? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
I guess the last one I would like is Krieger from, that's from my book, and I'm not trying to promote it, but just because he's a very old vampire and he wouldn't eat anybody at the party. He would, he would be very good. So I'd just like to hear what he, he has to say. Like, he would have been around when Cleopatra was around and he had Earhart and Lincoln and just to get his perspective with them. So that would be my group. And, and good wine, definitely lots of good wine. I like that you added wine in as a character there, Rebecca. You're definitely a lady after my own heart. Well, can you imagine? I mean, you know, it just you got to get a little, you know, a little social lubrication going there because, you know, and then just let everything roll. Just let them have at it while you watch. I, I would, I would, that would be great, wouldn't it? There, but you know what? There needs to be some computer program to do that. That would be great. That's a lovely eclectic list. I really like your list. What question do you never get asked that you really wish someone would ask you? And then what would your answer be? Oh, God, this, yeah, this is a hard one. Um, mm, all right, I'm going to be a little little witchy here. But I guess, you know, somebody asked me about how it is to write a male character, walk in a man's shoes. Um, I never get asked that. Uh, I think... You could kind of tell when somebody writes men well, like when a female writes men well, and when they don't. Sometimes I think male characters get written by females as like these, I don't know, they don't seem like men that I've ever met. So I think that's what I'd like to be asked, how how uh, you go about that. And if I did get asked that, I would say I ask my husband a lot of questions. <laughs> and sometimes a lot of inappropriate, or not inappropriate, but a lot of sensitive questions. And he always gives me that kind of look, like, is this for the book? And I'll be like, yes. <laughs> and, then, and then he goes about telling me. But, you know, because they're so different than we are. Men do not function the way we do. They eat and drink and all that business. But, you know, they see things totally different. They don't talk out their problems. You know, I've read books where these men sit and talk out with these women for hours. No, they don't do that. If they can't solve that problem, you know, they go and, you know, I don't know, dig a hole or something. They don't. They don't like that. So that would be my, I wish somebody would ask me that. That's cool. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. It is indeed. Well, everyone has their own personal myths, things uh, a lot of people think about us that may or may not be true, their own personal myth behaviors. So what myth behavior do people believe about you that is absolutely not true? Oh, I, you know, I always get told that uh, people think I'm very personable. I guess I am personable, but it's very hard for me to be to be around big groups of people and I, I, I kind of put on my acting shoes and, and do my thing. But I think that's the thing that people just won't believe is true. That I just, I, I just find that hard. Like, you know, if I had, I, I know a lot of writers do it and I know I will do it, but going to a convention, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take to get me there. It's going to, I'm Adam pharmaceuticals. I don't know. That would be hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Okay, what misbehavior do people believe about you that really is true? Oh, that I, ha you know, this is just stupid. That you know, I'm a big goof. You know, if if you know, I, I'm just I'm just a big goof about everything. I don't you don't usually take things too seriously. I you know, people can sense that. But, um, and, and, and I try not to, you know, make them take things too seriously either. So, 
you know, if you ever have a bad accident or anything and you need somebody to be consoling, but not like, you know, digging your grave, that would be me. I'd be like, oh, they could put that figure back on. Don't worry about it. They'd be fine. (laughs) Well, Rebecca, that's the end of our show. We want to thank you again for being our guest. We appreciate all this wonderful information and sharing that you've done with everyone today. Oh, I am just so happy you guys asked me. You can ask me anytime, believe me. Well, I we would... will probably do that. <laughs> I, I, I love that you were willing to take the time to be with us today. You've given us a lot of really interesting information, and I, for one, greatly appreciate that. Well, thank you. Well, remember, everyone, you can go to MythBehaving.com for more information on Rebecca Trogner and links to her books. You can also read her bio and find links to her social media. And don't forget, you can download this episode right on iTunes or listen to us on the MythBehaving.com website. Please take a moment to leave us a positive uh, review on iTunes. That's how we move up the iTunes ladder and get recognized and people can find us easier. And don't forget you can subscribe to us on iTunes and never, ever miss an episode. Well, thank you again for tuning in to Myth Behaving. We'll see you again next time. Until then, I'm Carla. And I'm Mare. And we are Myth Behaving, where reality meets fantasy. See you soon.